Well, she was talking about the thunderstorm last night, and I experienced that thunderstorm as well with my children. Actually, we were coming back from a soccer practice, and we ended up pulling off on the side of the road, that's how exciting it was, with all the kids in the car, to watch the lightning in Ladera Ranch. And so we were watching it across the canyon and, you know, ooing and aahing and did you see that one? And whoa, that one was big and what's going on, mom? You know, it's like my kids, they don't normally see that being in Southern California. And so it was quite an exciting time. And then we came home later and it started getting darker and it started getting closer to our house, right? And what comes with a lightning storm often is thunder, right? So when the thunder came and the boom, 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 boom shook throughout the house, um, this, the somewhat exciting lightning became a scary moment, right? I all of a sudden had all four kids on my bed. And just to top it off, my husband was gone, right? The one who's the protector, the one, I mean, if daddy's there, it's like, oh, I'm safe, I'm fine. But they only had me. So I'm there and we're, you know, answering, I'm answering questions and, you know, mom, do you think we're going to make it through? I'm like, <laughs> pretty sure we're going to make it through. And uh, just some really fun and sweet and, you know, revealing that they were afraid. And we actually were able to talk through some of the things we're going to talk through today. It was a sweet time in my parenting to read the word with them and to pray But the thing that struck me about the storm was how much it surprised me that it was there. Okay, that whole day, we had been outside. Things had been peaceful. It had been sunny. We'd been on bikes at a soccer practice. I mean, things were going well. I had no idea that the storm was coming. It totally caught me off guard. I thought, what? I guess I didn't check my weather app today, right? Well, I think in the Christian life, sometimes we are rolling along in a peaceful time. Things are easy. The sun is shining, so to speak. We are coming to church. We're in the word. Things are going well. And all of the sudden, at a moment's notice, a storm can hit, right? We aren't prepared for it. That their day is going well. The time is going well. The season is going well. And then All of the sudden, in really the blink of an eye, a storm can roll into our lives. Well, we need to get through the storms with a faith that doesn't waver or doubt that God is in control of the storm that he's brought into our life. When we face trials that test our faith, we need to fully trust God's plan and his promises and know that God is in control and we can turn to him. Well, we're going to look in Exodus today, and we're going to see that we, oh, we do have a God that we can trust. But let me remind you where we've come from. Okay, last week, Heather encouraged us to say yes to God's plan, right? We looked poor Moses and all of his responses, and we're thinking, come on, Moses, obey, obey, right? But we saw in our own lives that we often don't respond with that yes right away. But at the end of chapter four, I read this amazing verse that pr- provides me with so much hope for the people of God. Look at chapter four, verse 31, to just give us some context as we get into our chapters today. It says this, Exodus 4:31, And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, 
and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. We come to a place where the people said, we believe you, God. We trust in you. We want to put our faith in you that you will deliver us. We've seen your signs. We've heard your words spoke through your servant Moses, and we are going to believe and follow you. And then we enter chapter five, and the showdown begins, right? Moses and Aaron are going to come before Pharaoh and tell him what God, Yahweh, the creator of the earth, demands of him. And that's where we're going to pick up in our text this morning. Let's read Exodus 5, verses 1 through 9. Follow along with me as I read. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Really, we're going to look at the first response to God's plan, and it's our worst response. It's Pharaoh's response to Yahweh. Pharaoh's response to the demands that God puts on him. And from that response, we are going to learn that we need to trust God's leadership and not our own. And you can write that down for point number one. Point number one says, trust God's leadership and not your own. I mean, we see Pharaoh say, who is the Lord? Who's Yahweh? Pharaoh knew of many gods. There were a lot of different gods in Egypt, Egypt gods for almost everything. And so when Moses and Aaron come before him and say, Yahweh says to let his people go, he's thinking, who's that? I don't know this God. And besides that, I don't really care what he has to say, right? I will not let them go. You're being lazy. Get back to work. Pharaoh hears the demands of Yahweh, and he makes his own demands on the people, right? He immediately questions God's authority and wonders why he has to listen to any God. I mean, Pharaoh was often thought of a God in himself. He thought of himself as a God. And so when Moses and Aaron come and make their appeal using the name of Yahweh, he says, who's this Lord? He's, I don't have anything to do with him. He's not anyone that I need to listen to or obey. He fully rejects 
that idea that he needs to let the people go. Well, this is the very same lie that unbelievers tell themselves today, right? We see this in our culture, in the culture that highly praises personal autonomy. I make my own choices. I make my own decisions. You can't tell me what to do. I am woman. Hear me roar, right? I've got what I need. I've got what I think is the best thing. You can do you. I'll do me. And you know what? If there is a God, I'm pretty sure he's fine with me, loves me enough to let me make my own choices for my own life. They basically say, non-Christians, who's God? I don't need to listen to him. Why would I have to submit my will to his control? Well, these unbelievers, they actually do, just like Pharaoh, know that there is a God. Look at Romans 1, Romans 1.18. Romans 1.18 shows us that even though some may deny the existence of God, we can see from God's word that they do know that God has made it clear to them who he is. Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. We all can see through creation, through this thunderstorm, through the life of a new baby, that there is a God. Pharaoh could see that there is one true God, and yet he fully rejected that authority. And you know what? I, I would assume that many of us in this room are not in that place today, a full rejection of God's authority in our lives. And if you are, it would be so great to come to someone in this room and talk to them about that that you have not surrendered your life to God. But I think we may be rejecting God's leadership in other ways as Christians. Remember when you became a Christian, you said, God, you are now fully in charge of my life. I am no longer in charge. You are on the throne and I will follow you. My words, they'll be your words. My priorities are your priorities. I wanna do what you have called me to do. I want to stay away from the things that I shouldn't do. God, you're in charge, and I surrender my life to you. But now, are we fighting for the throne in small ways? Is there an area of your life, is there an area of my life, where I am seeking to take the throne and hide this one area of my life and not turn it over to the Lord? Is there a verse that you see in the Bible that says what you're doing is wrong and yet you still say, I wanna do it anyways? Could it be something with your work ethic? Maybe now that we're working at home, many of us, is there something in our work ethic when we look at what God's word says that we are saying, you know what, I kinda want control of this area. Something in our serving or lack thereof, 
our parenting, our friendship, the way we treat our husbands, the way we treat our children, our roommates. What could it be for you and for I that we are rejecting God's authority in that specific area in our lives? We need to be sensitive to God's prompting this morning if he's showing you a place where you may be vying for the throne and instead turn it over to him. Submission to God's leadership means that you give him all you give him control of all areas of your life, not just some. Well, as we continue throughout our text, not everyone responds with absolute rejection of God's leadership. We are going to look at a few different responses to God's plan and see how specifically the people of Israel, the foremen, responded to what was happening in this time with the increased labor, the increased work. Let's see how they respond. If you would look with me at chapter 5, verse 15. Chapter 5, verse 15 says this. Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. And basically, Pharaoh is listening, and he says, I don't, I'm not going to change my mind. Get back to work. Uh, it doesn't matter what you say. You're coming to me with some complaints. You're just lazy. And look at verse 20. Verse 20, the people come out from this meeting with Pharaoh, and they find that Moses and Aaron are waiting for them. It says, verse 20, then they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, Yahweh, look on you and judge, because you have made us a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Well, we see a different response from the people of God, but I do think it's one that we can relate to. The people of God have just entered a difficult season, right? There's a trial that has entered their lives. Things are hard. Things have just changed and become a lot more difficult. They are without hope. They're looking ahead at something that they are afraid to face, and what they do in response is something that we need to learn from. We need to learn that we, even in the tough times, we need to trust God. And so that's where we're going to go for point number two. We need to trust God's plan in both good and bad times. You and I, we need to make sure that we trust God's plan for our lives, both when things are going well and we've got the sunny day, so to speak, and even when the thunderstorm comes and rolls in and it changes. Now, before we are too hard on the people of God, um, we got to put our feet in their sandals for a minute, you know? It's, it's tough. They have just been told that they're going to have to work. They're given less help. They're given no compassion from their leader. I mean, they're looking at harsh conditions. They're looking at basically something that they feel like is impossible to achieve. And they know that they could be beaten, tortured. They know that their family could suffer. I mean, they are looking ahead at a difficult time, right? But that's part of the reason we're bringing this to light. What did they do in response to their trial, their tough time? Look who they turned to in chapter uh, 5 verse 15. It says that they turned and cried to Pharaoh. 
Oh, the people, they missed it. They entered a tough time in their lives and instead of turning to Yahweh, the one who they just a few verses before believed and worshiped, they turned to their earthly master. They actually called themselves his servants. They said, Pharaoh, we're your servants, we're your slaves. They're actually slaves of Yahweh. They're not slaves of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is just someone on earth that is over them. They needed to turn to the one who's in control of all things, to their God, and yet they missed it. They said, Pharaoh, we're your servants. Help us. Give us some relief. Rather than going to the God who's in control of all things, they turned to their earthly master. I mean, they have everything flipped around here. The trials, the bad times, caused them to doubt God's control over their lives and doubt that he is worthy of trusting. And so they turn to someone whom they think can maybe fix the problem. One commentator says that the people assume that a good God will never let harmful events happen to his people. It's a lie and very false. And we see the people in Exodus 6, 9 later say that Moses has spoke thus to the people of Israel and they did not listen because of their broken spirit and because of the harsh slavery. The circumstances, that harsh slavery has caused them to lose faith, to waver and to doubt that God is really in control as they are entering a tough season. Most of us in this room, I think, can relate to this, right? We are trusting God. We are seeking him and doing the right things, obeying him when things are good and time is, the time is sunny, right? And then yet a trial, a storm enters, like for the Israelites here, and we ask God why. We blame him possibly. We forget his promises, even just that. We may even turn to earthly leaders or earthly fixes rather than turning to the God of the universe who's in control of all things and has the power to give us what we need to get through those times. We turn everywhere else for help, possibly, when a difficulty enters our life. And I think part of the reason we do this, at least for me, is the marble jar dilemma. Do you know about the marble jar Okay, were you in public school like I was and there was a marble jar at the front of the room? I, I see some of you smiling, like I, you know what that is, right? So in our classroom, I remember this glass jar in the very front. And being the student that I was, you know, wanting to follow the rules and, you know, be recognized for all of that, I remember just loving the sound of that clanking marble going into the glass jar. And what did I get the marbles for? What did the class get the marbles for? For good behavior, right? We did the right thing, we get a marble. And you'd watch those marbles go all the way up to the top. And at the top, when it was full, there would be a celebration, a reward, a blessing. And for those kids who somehow didn't want to follow the rules or didn't want to obey, there was consequences or they would miss out on the blessings. I don't know if we would say this outright, but I do think sometimes we view the Christian life in the same way. We think God is up there and he sees that I am reading my Bible, that God sees I am trying to parent my kids the way he asks me. 
God sees that I've, I've started giving to the church, that I've changed my life around to obey and to follow him. And we think that God is seeing those good things and keeping a tally, and then he should bless us for that. God, I'm doing the right thing. Where is my reward? Where is my blessing? And God does bless our good behavior in so many ways, but he's not just tallying up our good deeds so that he can only provide us with the good things in life. And there are people out there in the Christian world who are saying that. If you follow God, if you commit your life to him, if you do the right things, he just wants you to prosper. He wants to give you all the health and wealth and make everything easy, make everything right. But that's not what happens in our Christian life. 1 Peter 1, 6 to 7 says this. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If necessary, there will be trials to test our faith, to make us more like Christ, and we are promised that. Another comforting truth to remember when we enter really the tough times is found in Isaiah 45.7. Isaiah 45.7 says this, God speaking, and he says, I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God provides both the light and the well-being, but God is also in control of the darkness and the calamity. God is not some passive observer of what's happening on earth, and when something bad goes wrong, he says, oh, I hope they figure it out. I hope they can figure out this problem. No, God is in control. God is sovereign God who creates both the light and the darkness and brings that into our life for a purpose to make us more like his son, Jesus. Job recognized God's complete control over his life. If you know the example of Job in the Bible, Job had so many things. I mean, he had donkeys and camels. You guys, you know how you want a load of donkeys and camels, right? I mean, you just, we're all buying for that, right? But in that time, he had the, the money. He had the donkeys, the camels. He had a big family. He had a great life. I mean, there were the, the heavenly, the, I mean, sorry, the earthly blessings were there for him. And yet, God allowed for there to be trials to enter his life, and those things were taken away. His cam camels, his donkeys, his children, his health, his money. I mean, so many things, so many difficult things. And this is what Job says in 121. Job chapter 1, verse 21, he says this, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord and at the end of the book, in chapter 42, verse 1, he says, again, I know that you can do all things. God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose, no plan of yours can be thwarted. Nothing that you decide to happen can be stopped. You are the one that's in control of both the good times and the bad times. 
And I believe that that should be our first application from this text, that we should expect for there to be trials, that we should expect for there to be seasons of both good, light, and seasons of difficulty, that we should know that there's going to be suffering. And when the next time of suffering enters our lives, we need to not respond in anger, despair, but rather turn to God and trust in his plans. If we have those right expectations, it will help us to get through the times with a better perspective and attitude and response. And it makes me think about my first trip to the beach this summer. I was so excited to go to the beach. It's sunny. Remember, I have four kids, so that's a lot of them. There's still a little guy. He's four, and four through 10 right now. And um, we, you know, we loaded up. We're going to go to the beach. We've got a thousand things, right? There's so many things. But I was still thinking of this first beach day with just the best expectations. Maybe, maybe how you think about going to Disneyland, right? Like, ah, everything is going to go. The angels are singing. It's going to be fantastic, the happiest place on earth. Well, I was thinking when I get to the beach, the kids are going to play. I'm going to relax in my chair with my bubbly water. Maybe I'll read. I'll just lounge, you know. I'll just hang out. And of course, when I get to the beach, me and my four children, what happens? Well, someone gets sand in their eyes right? And they're screaming and crying. Someone is fighting with another person. The brand new shovels I brought broke on the first time. You know, I ran out of snacks. I packed half of the pantry, but they just keep eating and it's all gone. And the worst thing that happened was I had my little boy who fell asleep in the tent and, and, you know, that's, that's a great thing. Oh, good, he's getting a nap. I mean, he is cranky. He needs a nap. But you know what happened to him? The waves woke him up. I'll never forget standing there and watching a wave wash over my sleeping child and think, <laughs> and think we're done for. I'm never coming back to the beach again. This is our last beach time. I'm never coming back, right? Poor little guy. But, you know, Part of the reason all of those things actually did cause a, some frustration, some anxiety, some, you know, freaking outness, unfortunately, was that I had this expectation of this picture-perfect day, that everything was going to go right, that all the things were going to be easy, and that there would be no problems. And we know, as parents, that rarely happens, right? But do we remember that in our lives that we also are going to face even as God's children, both the good and the bad, that that's an expectation we need to have so that we're not surprised when God sees fit to put a trial in our lives. Well, like my wrong beach expectations, when you have the wrong expectations, it may cause you to waver, to doubt, to kind of question God. But as a Christian, a Christian will always turn back and obey Christ. Right? There may be some wavering, there be, may be some difficult, some struggle, some questions, but a Christian will always turn back and follow and submit to Christ. Some people, however, though, when the tough times come, it causes them to not waver, but actually walk away. Actually walk away and show that they never really were in God's family. 
as a saved Christian. Matthew 13, Matthew 13, verse 20 and 21 is the parable of the soils. Maybe you are familiar with that, where the gospel is being shared and there are different responses to the gospel message. And I want to point out one of the responses in verse 20 of Matthew 13. It says this, As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. One proof that we are in Christ is that when we endure a hard time, we remain steadfast and turn and obey and trust in God and not walk away and throw in the towel. Because if we walk away, it shows that we were never really in Christ. Well, a second application is that we need to turn to God rather than our earthly masters or people around us or anything else. And we need to turn to God first. That's how you can write it for a second application in this point. Turn to God first. Did you see that the people of Israel, they turned to Pharaoh? They cried to Pharaoh. They went to the person that they could see standing in front of them for relief and support. And they didn't even call out to the God who has the authority in their lives, and the power to do something about it. When you and I, both in good and bad times, we need to make sure that we turn to God first. We don't want to turn to the internet first, or that favorite blogger of ours who has so many tips to get us through the times that are tough, or a best friend, or our mom, or that medical journal that may have all the answers, or if you're like me, just a good old-fashioned pen and paper where I can try to figure out this problem on my own. I'm in a tough time. All right, let me figure it out. God, I've got this. No, we need to make sure that we turn to God first. And while some of those things I mentioned we may end up using, we may end up looking at, we need to make sure that God is the one that we turn to in prayer. We cry out to him for what we need to get through it. We turn to him and we turn to him regularly. We don't just turn when we first enter that trial, but we turn again and again and again, looking in his word and in prayer, that we get that in front of our eyes. And you've probably seen this in your own life. When I enter a trial, I, it often does drive me to be closer to God. It often does get me to cry out to him to ask and beg and realize that, God, I need you. I need to be connected with you, and I need to make sure that you're the one that I'm seeking out for the support and the help, the grace that I need. In 1 Peter 5, 7 says, we need to cast all our anxieties on him. Cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Well, the last application in this point is that you and I, we need to make sure we lean on God's grace. And it's so connected with the previous application that we would really look to the Lord and specifically the Holy Spirit in our own lives to get us through the tough times. We have the person of God as the Holy Spirit living inside us as Christians. How often do we forget that 
try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and get going and muscle through this problem. We need to make sure that we do what 2 Corinthians 9, 8, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God has the grace and we need to ask him for it and depend on him for it. We need to go to him rather than our own wits or strength or abilities because we will see that that will fail us. We need to make sure that we lean and depend on God's grace to get us through the tough times and we don't want to forget God's grace in the good times either. When things are going well, we need to remember that God is the one who's supplying what we need in the good and the bad times. We're not alone. Well, as we continue our passage in Exodus, we're gonna look at the last response to God's plan as we see how Moses responds to this setback, right? Where he came to Pharaoh, the showdown has been thrown down, and Pharaoh says no. How does Moses respond? Let's look at chapter five, verse 22. Chapter five, verse 22 says this. And this is right after the people have come out and accused Moses of getting them into trouble. You know, God's gonna judge you. You're just trying to get us killed, right? And so Moses responds in this way in Exodus 5, 22. He says this, then Moses turned to Yahweh. He turned to the Lord. That's was such a great response initially. He turns and cries, not to Pharaoh, not to any other person, but he turns to Yahweh and says, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Why God, what, you're, this is not working. This is not happening how I think it should happen. This is not going according to my plan. I'm surprised. I came to Pharaoh. I told him your words. Why isn't this going as I think it should go? And later in Exodus 6, 12 and 13, Exodus 6, 12 and 13, Moses says, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. So Moses Remember in chapter three, just a short time ago, remember in chapter three, in verses seven and eight, when God says to you, Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. God had made that promise to Moses. I have heard their cry. I am coming to save and to deliver them. And then he says, if we remember this from the burning bush time, that it won't be easy. God actually tells Moses ahead of time that Pharaoh won't let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So Moses has been given a heads up. Moses has been promised deliverance and Moses has also been promised that there will be a tough time. It won't happen. And yet we see Moses in his response, almost acting surprised, you know, like did he think he was gonna come into Pharaoh and say, let my people go, God says, and Pharaoh's like, all right, you guys go out, have a great time, I'll see you in a couple days, let me know when you're on your way back. No, I mean, Moses almost responds with kind of some shock, 
some surprise, some confusion, some despair. He questions God. He questions his abilities, and he questions God's promises. And that's where we need to write down for our point number three. We need to learn from his response that we need to trust God's promises. That's point number three. Moses had been promised deliverance. Moses had been told that there would be difficulty, and yet Moses is questioning God's timing, right? Moses seems to forget that God has his own divine timetable. God is working out the things on his own plan according to the ways he sees fit. And you know what? It's not always going to line up with our timetable. He's so impatient to have the deliverance right away in the way that he thinks it should come. I can relate to that. Are you impatient during the trials in your life, saying, how much longer? Did you forget about me, God? Do you get discouraged and lose hope and forget the promises that God has given us all throughout his word, the entirety of scripture, what he has promised to those who follow him? We don't want to forget his promises or that he is in control and he has a plan and it is his timing that's perfect. And that divine timetable likely doesn't line up with what we think the timetable should be. But I want to encourage you with how God responds to Moses. God responds to Moses' questions. God responds to Moses' frustration with so many good and encouraging and hope-filled promises. Let's look at Exodus 6. Exodus 6, when God responds to him in uh, verse 6. So Exodus 6, verse 6. God says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession I am Yahweh. I mean, the almighty God, the I am, the one in charge of all things, makes promises to Moses and to the people. And these are not promises that we cross our fingers, we hope maybe it will work out, we're unsure of. No, God is faithful 100% of the time. He has never, nor will he ever, make a promise that he does not fulfill. He can't. God cannot lie. God is perfect in his promise giving and God is perfect in his promise fulfilling 100% of the time and we can take that to the bank. So let's look at some of these promises that he gives to the people. He says he will bring them out, he will free them, and he will redeem them. Bring them out, free them, and redeem them. Redemption means to be set free from the slavery of sin by the payment of a price. 
If you are a Christian in here, you have been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. And that is a sure thing. We don't have to wonder if when we make it up to heaven and we stand before God, that maybe the good's gonna outweigh the bad or that we hope to get in. No, we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. What hope that gives us, even in tough times, that we know that no matter what happens on this earth, that we have a sure standing because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says this, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What a hope-filling truth one that we may take for granted or forget and that we need to remind ourselves and others around us when we go through a trial that we have a sure and steady salvation in Christ. Well, the second two things that God promises the people of Israel is that I will take you to be my people and he says, I will be your God. In Ephesians 1.5, it says this, Ephesians 1.5, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. We have a personal relationship with God. We have been placed into a family as a son or a daughter, and we now can access a God who is not far off and distant from us, but a God who listens and cares and wants to hear from us and who is always accessible to us. We are not orphaned, we are not alone, we have a heavenly father who is always willing to listen and to respond. What an encouraging truth for us that we have a father who loves and cares for us. He is our God. He is our personal God. The last two promises that are given to the people of Israel are that there will be a, uh, sorry, is a promise of land the first one is that he says, I will bring you to the land and I will give it to you. I will bring you to the land and I will give it to you. John 14, 2 says this, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. We have a promise of a future land, do we not? We have a promise of heaven, we need to make sure we remember and are encouraged that we have a place with God. I just had a conversation with my daughter, Anna, and she turned to me and said, Mom, is there any sin in heaven? And at first I thought, how come you don't know that? But then I thought, that's okay, that's okay. This is the time, right? You know, you have that moment, like, you are a PK, you know that, right? Well, I turned to Anna and I said, Anna, no, there's no sin. And her little eyes got wide. And then I said, and there's no pain. And there's no suffering. And there's no problems. And there's no issues. And there's no sorrow. And there's nothing bad ever. And for that little girl, her eyes were so wide. And I thought, oh, God, what an amazing truth that I don't think about enough. 
It is so easy for me to see what happens on this earth, to see what's right in front of me, and forget that I have a future inheritance with you that is going to be perfect, that this home is not my home. You have promised me a land, a land where I get to live with you forever. What a great promise to us that we can trust and we need to remind ourselves both in the good times when the sun is shining and when things are difficult. Well, one practical suggestion that I have for you is that we may take a log of these promises. You know, we hear so many promises from God in Scripture. We're reading them. We see them. We're told them throughout the sermons, throughout our DBR, even throughout worship songs. What if we started to gather those together in a list, a journal, on a note sheet, on your computer, however it is you might want to do it? Because when we face good, bad times, That is something that provides so much hope just to get our eyes on the promises of God. (laughs) And if you're like me, when you face that moment where your sister in Christ faces a trial and you don't really know what to say, you can turn to God's word, those promises that you've gathered and say, what would bring her hope? What would help her to be encouraged as she struggles through this tough time as I want to provide God's promises to her rather than just my my own words? I mean, this would be such a great thing for us to do, to really get our eyes on God's promises so that we can trust them more fully each day. I actually have a list of some of the promises, I know it's tiny and I will email it to your leaders so you don't have to worry about writing it down. But I just started something quick and small. And let me tell you, if my heart was not in the right place, by the time I was done, it was rejoicing. I just looked and I saw that in Romans 8:28, God's plans for his people are for our good. I looked to see that we can't lose our salvation because of Christ's work in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. We've been given the Holy Spirit. Our strength is renewed. God will come back. Heaven is free of pain. God is faithful. Trials provide spiritual growth. The list goes on and on as we look and see and trust, even when our feelings or the circumstances make it tough, that we trust that God will be faithful to fulfill his promises to us 100% of the time. Well, when we're called to trust God, we need to learn from this passage. We need to make sure that we acknowledge and submit to God's leadership and not fight for our own control. We need to hold strong in our faith and even if we waver or doubt during the, the tough times that we come back and obey Christ fully that we trust God even when a difficulty enters our life. And we need to make sure that we draw encouragement and hope and persevere because of what God's word says to us by his promises. And I want to end by reading these words from a song that we sang this weekend, just a small portion of them. It says this, Over fear, over shame, Over all anxiety, over troubles and all pain, over sickness and disease, for he reigns on the throne. He's the one in charge. All praise to him alone, one name over everything. Jesus, you're over everything. You reign forevermore. 
Our song for all eternity, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are Lord, that you are over everything, and that we can trust you through the fears and the pain and the anxiety, and that, God, we can trust you when times are going well. We can remember and thank you for those good seasons. God, I I pray that we would be women who trust in your leadership. I do think so many of our problems often come back to a lack of trust in knowing who you are and believing and following what you have said. God, help us to fight our emotions. Help us to fight our thoughts. Help us to fight to really depend on you rather than depending on our own selves or depending on what we think may get us through, God. We are so grateful that you've provided us with so much hope in your word. Help us to turn to you as we seek your word and as we seek you in prayer. God, I do pray that these groups would be a great time of discussion and honesty, and I pray that you would bless our time today and help us to follow you more closely as a result of looking at this passage in your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.